What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Take a closer look at unlimited data plans, and you'll see they're not always upfront with their prices. Not at T-Mobile. Get unlimited data with taxes and fees already included. And right now, get four lines of unlimited data while on our network for just 40 bucks each per month with AutoPay. So go ahead, take a closer look, and you'll see nobody does unlimited like T-Mobile. Don't wait. Hurry into a T-Mobile store or call us at 1-800-T-MOBILE and switch today. Top 3% of data users over 32 gigs a month may notice reduced speeds. Listening to the Cowbell Kingdom Podcast, brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Jiffy Lube, fast and convenient automotive services with over 25 locations in the area. Visit them at JiffyLubeCA.com for coupons and locations today. Now, here's your host, James Ham. Welcome to the Cowbell Kingdom Podcast, brought to you by Jiffy Lube. I am James Ham. Joining me today is a very, very special guest, uh, someone that maybe the common fan doesn't know well, but the elite NBA players do. I have Impact Basketball's Joe Abunasar. Joe, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So you've got a couple of Kings clients, or you have in the past. This summer, you worked extensively with DeMarcus Cousins, and you know a lot about this young guy. Tell us a little bit about what his summer was like in preparation for Team USA because it seems like you did some really good work here and you probably need some credit for what went on there. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think what went on is DeMarcus, as soon as the season was over, was very focused on getting his body ready, getting his game ready to um, not not only make the Team USA uh, team but also to have, you know, just take his career to another level. We had talked extensively you know, throughout last season, toward the end of last season of, um, you know, my experiences with a Kevin Garnett or a Chauncey Billups over the years and, and really what took them to that next level, what really was the difference between them getting, you know, being very, very good players and, and guys that are, you know, Chauncey being done and, and, and Kevin uh, wrapping up soon, you know, guys that have, have had a very Hall of Fame-worthy career. So, you know, it, it really started with as soon as the season was over, getting – 
getting hit, getting a schedule set for the summer and just beginning working. And, and DeMarcus has always worked, but I think this summer, this past off season, his commitment, his focus uh, was, was razor sharp. I mean, he had a very, very strong uh, you know, desire to make that USA team. But, and again, I think it goes beyond that. It's, it's about his whole approach to where he wanted to take his career. So, you know, it went, it went from everything, from how he was eating to uh, his, his bringing his weight down a little bit, getting himself in elite shape. Uh, working on things on the court that he needed to, to work on to perfect. And, and it was, a, you know, in my business, maybe the most important thing is consistency. You know, you got guys that do like to train, but they're in, they're out, they're, you know, they take this, they have vacations, this and that. What, what DeMarcus did was he, you know, we talked after the season and said, look, the, the guys I've had in the past that have had the greatest off seasons that have resulted in the best season to follow, it's been consistency. It's been a schedule set. We stick to the schedule. We stay on it. We continue to work all summer, uh, and that's what and that's what he did. So, you know, it started earlier than uh, than most guys normally start because of the Team USA, uh, you know, push. And uh, you know, like I said, it went from everything from his nutrition to his his uh, work in the weight room. Uh, you know, I think people that work with have known Demarcus for a long time. I mean, Demarcus loves to work once he gets in there. He just needed to you know look, you know get consistent and and stay focused in his his effort level and his commitment to it. Even when he went back to Alabama, uh, you know, to see his mom or to go home, we sent somebody with him and he, he remained, you know, he maintained his training even on those trips, which is, that's what I mean by consistency. I mean, he never let up the whole summer. It seems like in the NBA, there are your workout warriors and then there are your, your gym rats. And I know that DeMarcus over the course of his career, I mean, I've gone in and actually filmed him doing training sessions with Kings trainers in the past. But I know that he's a reluctant workout guy. He he is a a guy who likes to play a lot of basketball, but he's never been a guy who really, you know, took the time to take care of his body. How do you transform a guy like that and make him sort of have that that burning desire, that passion to get into the gym, to get in and and do the the other things that are necessary or is it just some players get to a certain age and, and they realize that if they want to take that next step, if they want to be the next Kevin Garnett, that they've got to take the, the necessary steps. Well, I mean, I think that that's what you said. The second point is, is pretty much correct. I mean, you can't, you know, a long time ago when I first started, Teron Lou was one of my first uh, clients, and, and he and Chauncey obviously are close friends, and we, you know, Ty used to live in my house, and obviously he's now uh, moving up the coaching ranks in Cleveland. So, you know, he and I talk so much, and, and what I've learned over my 20 years of doing this is that it is ultimately my job to get guys to love to work out, but there's a certain point where they have to make that commitment. And I think what you said second is that DeMarcus realizing, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm good and, and I'm very good and I could probably play. I mean, who, the guy could play 15 years, uh, you, know, doing, you know, doing whatever he was doing or, you know, being a very, very good player, but he just he made that commitment in his mind. He wanted to be great. He wanted to be uh, one of the best to play. Um, I think he realizes his ability, his skill, his size. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I've really never seen very few guys with that kind of combination of athleticism and size and skill. Um, and, you know, he just took his mental focus to another level of, hey, good is good, but I want to be great, and this is what I need to do to do it. So, you know, you know guys are young, and you know the league. You've been around a long time, and as, as they mature a little bit and see, get their lay of the land and, and who, why guys are doing what they're doing in the league. Some guys get it and, and some guys don't. And DeMarcus really gets it. You know, he really understands that he wants to be great. And I think that that is the key element in anyone who is great. I mean, you can't, 
I can put it in them. Obviously, it's our job, to, my job, to motivate and, and continue to keep them focused. But without that burning desire on, on from their side that that they want to be great, you know, it's, it's my job is, is that much more difficult. But it was easy with them this summer. I mean, every hey, you're going to Alabama. Let's let's get somebody with you. Okay, great. Let's do it. I mean, there was there was absolutely zero. Um, not only wasn't there any pushback, there was more encouraging of let's do more. You know, what what more can we do? So. I think that that's the mentality that makes legendary players, and it's something that he has in him right now. Okay, so you you watched this finished product, not quite a finished product, I'm sure. I mean, knowing how young he is and just how incredible his high, incredibly high his ceiling is, you watch him go through Team USA, have a lot of success. You watch him early in this season with the Sacramento Kings having earliest success. And then he gets knocked down by viral meningitis, which is you know just a random thing that doesn't happen very often uh, to professional athletes. And y- you see, he's lost between like ten and fifteen pounds. The the word is, and, and he was on his back for two or three weeks. How much of an impact can that have on a professional athlete? Because I think a lot of people they're like, oh well, he's back on the court. How come you're not performing at the same level? But how much of a of just a sheer impact can that have on someone who's playing at an elite level? I think it's a big impact, and I think it's going to take him some time uh, to get back into the groove. Uh, and just in discussing with him yesterday, you know, just just the touch on the shot, uh, his rhythm, uh, the timing, those are things that takes a while to get back. You know, and I think you see players that are out for extended period of time, even longer than Demarcus was, sometimes take them you know, a whole season to, to get back. Guys that are out for a year with a knee injury or whatever. So the game is, is a very much of a timing game. I mean, it was a rhythm. I think that the, it has to do also with the team was, you know, was, was clicking so so well before he went down and, and the Kings were playing at a pretty high level. And then, you know, he's out. They have to adjust and play a little different way. Now they have to adjust again. And, of course, with the coaching change and different things like that, I mean, I think it's all just a matter of, of rhythm and timing. So it, it does take you down. And plus, physically on your body, to be on your back for, for that long when you're used to working out every day, and it's not easy. So, you know, the muscles fall asleep a little bit, and you got to get them, get them uh, awake again and get them really firing on all cylinders. So this is going to be a process. I don't think it's going to be – too long, but I think it's something to be expected that it's going to take him a little bit of time to get back into his rhythm. All right. Now, when you go to Impact, it's not just about a workout program. It's not a CrossFit gym. Uh, you guys do a lot of basketball skill training and a lot of other, you know, nutritional training and everything else. How uh, how difficult is it for you to pull in these young players? And I know that you. At, at Impact, you you bring in like what is almost twenty five percent of the draft prospects are coming into your door, and you have on one hand you have like the exceptional athlete, but who's maybe young or hasn't developed yet, and on the other hand you have the exceptional skill player who maybe doesn't have that athleticism. How do you sort of find a path for each of these individuals? I mean, because in Sacramento we have like the two ends of the spectrum in. Ben McLemore, the exceptional athlete who hasn't really played that much basketball. And then on the other hand, you have Nick Stauskas, who has an elite skill as a shooter. How do you sort of balance that? Well, I think that's what makes us good at what we do is we can figure out. Because I've been doing this for 20 years, I can tell. You know, Obviously, I don't work with either of those guys, but if I had Nick Stauskas, obviously the last thing he needs to be doing is working on his uh, three-point shooting. You know what I mean? So whereas McLemore needs a little bit more of a, of a variety of things than, um, you know, Nick being more 
meeting meeting the athletic side of things. So, you know, I think that's part of what we do is part of evaluating how what what each guy needs. You know, I think years ago, uh, Chauncey Billups had done an interview and was talking about, you know, why he comes back or why he's been with me so long is that we 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 really do a good job of figuring out what each guy needs. So, you know, we, we have a lot of guys, but it's not so many that we can't figure out exactly what they need from a perspective of, okay, these are the things you do well. And we what we almost do is what are, what are your negatives to where, you know, are you too, a little bit too slow or you need to gain a little strength. And obviously, especially in the draft, is when there's such a scrutiny over the evaluation of every little bit of athleticism and jump shooting and form on the jump shot. So we do a really good job of identifying any sort of weaknesses and then structuring the workout plan so, so if it's a guy who, um, you know, using Nick Stauskas, again, who I don't know, but, but a guy that, that uh, you know, is a pretty good example, we, we would do more, um, we would do more, uh, actually, I'm just leaving a workout with that good old Al Harrington, my first client ever. So he just walked out the door and said goodbye to me. So I'm sure he's, he's still uh, in basketball he's shape. in shape. <laughs> he really is. No, yeah, he played in China 12 games, and, he, and he's, uh, he's staying in shape for, uh, or to see what happens at the end of the season, we just finished working out. But yeah, we, we would take a guy like like that and say, okay, well we need to we need to spend a, a greater percentage of time, uh, you know, do an athletic moves and getting you quicker and things like that and strength than we would for a player who can't shoot the ball. You know, so we, we really do a good job of figuring out, okay, your program needs to be more focused on uh, on skill or more focused on athleticism or more focused on whatever it might be. So that's really how we break it down. All right. You know, Kobe Bryant brought up the AAU conversation, that uh, the AAU game is is not doing the game of basketball any favors, that a lot of players are, you know, coming out with, with very limited skills, very limited understanding of, of basketball play sets, of, of basketball basics. You've been in this business for a long time. But we've said that uh, you started – as uh, as an assistant under Bobby Knight at, at Indiana, I mean, you've seen the young college player, and and now you're getting to see players in every walk of life. But really, these young players coming into the league are sort of you know they they all come to you. What are you seeing as far as the skill level, the basketball IQ, the understanding of the game that players? maybe had during the early 90s, the mid-90s, and where are they now? Are they coming to you with less understanding of the game of basketball? Um, I mean, you know, I, I can even take a step further. I have two sons, a 13-year-old and 11-year-old, who play in AAU youth basketball. So, you know, initially, you know, when you read things like that, I mean, there's no question that um, Skill development, you know, even, even in a coaching perspective, when you look at high school programs, you look at college programs, I mean, we're getting guys for the draft. Um, and, you know, our job is to, to, to really break down their individual skill. In the draft, as you know, other than at, at Portsmouth or, or I think this year in Chicago, they are going to allow some five-on-five play. But other than, than a very small amount of time, these guys are really just being evaluated through workouts, you know. Can you shoot the ball? How do you handle the ball? What is your speed? Um, you know, can you pivot both ways? Your footwork, that type of thing. And what we find when we get them coming in from college is, yeah, there's a there's a real deficiency in those type of things. There's more of a focus in uh, in, in our game right now on, you know, if you're a coach, you're, you're looking for the most often looking for the newest press or or how do you improve your zone or or you know what's the newest offense or some new sets we can run. 
Whereas, in my opinion, and, and this is why I left coaching to do what I'm doing now, which is exactly what Kobe is saying, is that I think that individual skill development, if, if I'm a coach and I have five players on the floor and each one of those players is better, they can dribble better, they can shoot better, they, they understand the game better, then whatever I'm running is going to be better. And I, th- I do think that there's a lack of understanding that everyone's getting caught up in the in the uh, in, in the games and how many games we're playing. So from an AAU perspective, which is it's also interesting, you know, AAU basketball, that particular organization, isn't really youth basketball anymore. Youth basketball today is what they call travel ball or club ball. Which, yeah. You know, AAU is a specific, specifically sanctioned. You know, my son plays four four games every other weekend or five games, and none of them are AAU, quote-unquote, term. I mean, I think Kobe used the term AAU more so to refer to youth basketball or, or how we're developing the kids, you know, not specifically AAU as an organization. Of course. But there is a, there is absolutely a lack of. I mean, you know, there in our in 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 our basketball culture. I mean, what are the requirements for who are te- who's teaching our our younger kids? You know, I think that's the bigger issue. I, I don't think it's a problem with you know AAU, UTSSA, all the different organizations. They they provide places for young kids to play basketball, which is obviously a positive thing. You know, it's a it's a you know good for health. It's good for advancement of the sport. But the real question is, how are we developing them? You know, what are our focuses with those groups? Um, are the coaches qualified to teach them the right way? And I think that we see that coming in from the draft, no question. I mean, we we got guys that that can't finish with their left hand. You know, I mean, it's like I mean, these guys are first, second round draft picks. You know, that have been in a college program, and that is certainly no knock on college coaches are terrific. It's just the the lack of time um, and the ability to, you know, really take a, a player and get him better. We have guys that come in, and how many times have you seen? That's just our guys. I mean, dating back to, to Kevin Love and whatever year Kevin came out. I mean, we lost when he was with us for the draft. He lost 25 pounds. I mean, why does he do that then? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like with that, you know, it, it, obviously he's kept it off, and he's actually taken his fitness to an even bigger level. So, you know, guys like that. I mean, we have such radical you know you read it every year at the at the pre-draft camp so and so looks great he lost you know x amount of pounds he's you know he's stronger he put on x amount of pounds and you know you wonder well how does he get to be 20 years old or 21 years old and now they're just doing it so yeah i think i think that there is some some work to be done with uh fundamental skill development with the dating you know now nowadays Fifth graders are concerned. You know, there's ranking systems for fifth graders. You know, if you look on the on the online, you'll yeah. see the top fifth grade teams in the West, or who are the number one sixth graders in the country, and and what they're doing to attain those rankings is they're they're attending events run by the people who do the rankings. So you know, that's that's you know, again, I'm in it with my kids, so I see it from a, a lot of different things. I have to actually have my own. Uh, impact team of eighth graders that that my older son is on that that we tour and we play and we we see it all and you know these kids are more concerned with the rankings than they are can they you know shoot with their both hands or can they finish left-handed or do they know how to pivot or so so I think that what what Kobe said and and I think is a is an overall blanket statement that we do need to spend more time figuring out how to develop and, and, and increase the fundamental skills not only of draft guys, but just of any kid, you know, I mean, in, in the country. But, yeah, we, we back to your original question, we certainly see it in the draft. Like, wow, how does this guy get to this point and not do this? But, again, if I'm a college coach, which I was, 
I'm taking the pieces of my team and figuring out how to win games. So if I have a particular player who's, who's an incredible rebounder, um, incredible screener, defense, defender, and that's what he is. You know, I, might, I, I don't need him to be a scorer. Now, when that person comes to me to play in the NBA, obviously we need to improve their offensive skills. So it's not really a fault of the coach. It's just the way the system works, that you're going to use who you have to their strength. So what we focus on, just getting every player better. And, and in my opinion, if every player gets better, I don't care what you're running or, or what offense, what defense, your team's going to get better. So that's kind of the message that, that when I read what Cody said, that, that came through my head. You know, I, I was going to just hit you with one more question and uh, then something else popped into my head. And it's something that I, I think you probably better than anyone can answer. We've seen players that do come in, to, you know, because the Kings are always in the top 10 drafting. So we get to see, you know, Thomas Robinson. We get to see Ben McLemore. We get, I mean, it's, it's a never-ending list. Tyreek Evans, DeMarcus Cousins, Nick Stauskas, uh, Jemmer Fredette, all of these top 10 players. Can you... Take a player who, you know, maybe has like elite athleticism. Let's just go back to Ben McLemore. Can you take a player that that doesn't have like good handles or doesn't have good hands or doesn't have a perfect shooting stroke? And can you take him not just because your job isn't to take him and make him like good so he can go destroy people over at, you know, the YMCA you've got to take him to a level that is elite in the world to play in the NBA. Can you take a player and increase a skill, a specific skill to a level where he is elite enough at that skill to cover or to, I mean, to, to actually do it at an NBA level? Uh, I, I think you can get them better. I mean, I don't know that you can make them elite. So if somebody in the draft is not a very good shooter, I mean, we could certainly improve it. And over the course of their career, they can certainly improve their shooting, but then they, they shouldn't be drafted as not even talking about the Kings, but any team. I mean, I would think any, any person, uh, front office person would agree with me. I mean, if he's, you're not going to draft a guy hoping he can become a better shooter. I mean, you can kind of see it um, at, at 18 to 21 or 19 to 21 years old. You can really see, you know, he's got potential, but I think, I think what the draft in the NBA, in the NBA, what is very difficult when you're drafting guys is when somebody doesn't do one thing well. Like they, they just kind of, you know, that they need to go to a team like a San Antonio or Oklahoma City. Like you look at Andre Robertson, who, who is starting for the Thunder. You know, you know, Andre is a guy we had, and and he doesn't really shoot the ball well, but he's an elite rebounder and defender. You know, so yeah. when you get to those really good teams, now when you're when you're at a team that's rebuilding and in the lottery, obviously you need to draft the most. Skills, you, you are looking for a guy. Like, you know, if you're Oklahoma City, you're not looking for a scorer, of course. You got Westbrook, you got Durant, you've got, you know, keep listing them, right? Reggie Jackson, all those guys. Yeah. So you're looking for, okay, we need this. But when you're a team that needs everything, I think you have to draft uh, a guy that can give you the most. So the answer to your question is we never want to write anybody off, you know, but it is very rare. I mean, ball handling and things like that, I think, are, uh, you know, shooting is a skill. You know, shooting is something that. You know, I, I would imagine that uh, Nick Stauskas has been a good shooter since he's been in the fifth grade. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not like he just picked it up when he was in high school. So, um, or anybody like that. And I, and I think things like strength. Um, you know, if you look at Ibaka, you know, with, with Oklahoma City drafting Surge so long ago, and I had Surge coming off the plane from from Congo uh, two years before he went to the NBA. I mean, he's so skinny. You know, but I think those type of things you can bulk him up. I mean, it's very, it's, it's just scientifically 
uh, easier to say, hey, uh, you know, I can get I can get weight on this guy. Shooting is a tough skill. Um, I mean, and they're shooting coaches. We coach shooting. We've improved a lot of guys shooting in the draft. I'm a guy like Josh Eustace, who went first round this year to Oklahoma City. He was in the mm-hmm. D League now. I mean, Josh's shot came a long way just from a lot of repetitions. But, again, at Stanford, he wasn't asked to shoot the ball. So, you know, it was a different role for him. They had a different team. So it's tough. I mean, it's really tough. And I, I, you never want to write anybody off, but I, I think you can, you can get a pretty good idea of where their skill set is in the draft process. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you all day. I know you are an extremely busy man, but you've got something that you guys are working on. You, you're working on a new player development program. Uh, why don't you tell us about what you guys have going on over at Impact? Uh, well, we, we just released about a, a few weeks ago. It's on our, our new website. It's a player development. It's a certification program for coaches and trainers. That uh, it, It's an eight-section course, very, very detailed course, over 16 hours of video that covers everything from on-court skill work to weightlifting stuff, um, performance, how to get guys quicker, uh, how to get guys warmed up. We have a nutritional section that includes uh, PDFs that you can print out, give the parents, give the students. You know, we, and what we did is we made it uh, the nutritional side and the, and the strength side very simple to use. I mean, it, it's certainly uh, good enough or, or, or detailed enough to take you through a full season. But, again, it's, it's also taking into consideration not everybody has our weight room or the Sacramento Kings weight room. So, you know, we, have, we, we put the program together basically so a coach or a trainer can get that program and implement a full-season player development program. It, it covers everything from what to do in April, what to do in, in October, how to keep guys sharp during the season. And, again, there's about 400 uh, drills uh, that, that are in there that are, that are all speaking to the coach. So, you know, going back to what we were talking about with Kobe, you know, our goal with this is to, is to get people to a point where this certification, uh, we have a couple of national organizations that have already – um, partnered with us that are going to distribute it to their coaches and, and push to make it a requirement because it's, it's really all about we don't cover man-to-man off the defense, we don't cover zones, we don't cover motion offense, we cover getting players better. Um, and it, it goes, it, it's very detailed in what it says, and it also shows coaches and trainers how do you put the workouts together. You know, if you're a coach and you only have, uh, you know, an hour and a half of gym time and you've got 20-some players, how do you work all 20-some of those guys out? How do you make sure they're getting enough shots on? shots up, uh, their ball handling stuff. You know, really for, for a high school coach, how to take, how to make sure when guys get to you as a junior on the varsity team, they can finish left, they can finish right, they, they don't have any, you know, they, the flaws in their game have been cut down. So, but it's also applicable for colleges uh, and even, you know, the drill stuff is the same stuff we do with our pro guys. So we basically took 20 years of what I've done and, and put it into an online course uh, that, that we hope and, and we're expecting to become a very standard, uh, you know, if I'm a parent in, in Sacramento and I'm looking for a good program for my son or daughter, I would hope that they would say, oh, this guy's impact certified, which means he's been through this, this program to, you know, really lead him toward being, being a little bit more proficient in developing young players. So it's exciting for us. Basically, it's 20 years of what we've done in our building now released online uh, so coaches and trainers can kind of get an idea of, of how we've done it, because one thing one thing we've done is we've stayed focused on the development. You know, we don't we don't try to coach. You know, players. A coach sends us a player, we get the player better. We send him back to the coach. He plugs them into a system, and, and they do what they want with them. So, you know, everything from the mental approach to training, how to get the court set up, how to you know get your kids. You know, people ask us why do so many people come to Impact, and my number one answer is well, they like coming. You know, they really like being there, and that's 
what some coaches and trainers don't understand is that that's the number one requirement. So we, we go over that kind of mental approach. How do you get guys loving to train? How do you get them loving to work out? You know, during the season, are you doing 20 minutes of skill work at the end of your practice, uh, or are you just going straight through to the end with your zone work, and now you get in the game and you can't shoot the ball? You know, why are those things happening? So these are things that it, it's all offered online. It, it's available on our, on our website, and, uh, you know, we're really excited about it. And, and the people we've met with and the, the uh, relationships we've developed already have been very strong, and it's been very exciting. All right. Well, that, it sounds perfect. I mean, it sounds like something that uh, parents should be looking into and that trainers should be looking into. I know there are a lot of people out there that are trying all of these different types of training, but if you're going to do basketball-specific stuff, you probably should go to a basketball-specific guy to get your information. So, Joe, thank you so much for coming in. Some great knowledge. Uh, and I think Kings fans would, would like to thank you for the work that you did with DeMarcus Cousins because – he has been an absolute joy to watch on the court this year when he's healthy. His uh, body is in the best shape it's ever been. His moves are incredible. He, he clearly is adding things to his game at every step. So I, I'm sure Kings fans would like to thank you that, for that. I'll have more information on the website where you can find his information. And uh, thanks for coming in, Joe. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good one. Welcome back to the Cowbell Kingdom podcast, brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Jiffy Lube, fast and convenient automotive services with over 25 locations in the area. Visit them at jiffylubeca.com for coupons and locations today. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, NBC Sports, Aaron Bruski. Aaron, what's going on? Not much, man. You guys got to be on cloud nine over there. Big I, win. I don't know. I, I guess Kings fans should be on cloud nine. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, first of all, I, I want to say before we segue away, uh, thank you to Joe Bunasar for coming in. Man, Aaron, great conversation. Uh, I will make sure that you get the audio from that. Uh, but great conversation about sort of the training world, the AAU world, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, what goes on next for him as far as like getting himself back into shape. Joe Bunasar, of course, uh, from Impact basketball which is the number one training center for nba players they all go there uh, i you know after we we got off the phone i mean rudy gay omri caspi uh carl landry ray mccallum ryan hollins marcus cousins isaiah thomas all of those guys have been clients of joe bunasar's so definitely a leader in the clubhouse when it comes to training in the nba but Aaron, let's move past this. We've got we've got the game of basketball to talk about. The Sacramento Kings actually destroyed the Oklahoma City Thunder on Wednesday night. What did you make of this game and sort of the way the energy level of this team after a horrific one and one and three road trip? It was kind of like a tale of two teams, or if you want to say two boats going in opposite directions, which is ironic if I'm using that term correctly. Probably not because. That the, everything's been so chaotic in Kingsland, but they were the, actually the team that came out and punched the Thunder in the mouth from the get-go. And the Thunder, who have to practically not win every game, but they are in a win-now mode because of all the injuries that hit them, they end up losing a lot of momentum immediately after Dion Waiters' talk started hitting the internet. So uh, he joined the team last night for the game, but then the game before, they got run out of Oakland. So it was interesting to see things change so fast on a dime. 
my takeaway, I think, from a Kings perspective is you finally saw the players start to own their reality. So um, they came out chippy. It could have it could have actually I thought there was a point in time in the game where it could have sw- the 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 emotion and the momentum and the energy. It was a little bit um, undisciplined on the Kings side. And I thought at, at one point in time, DeMarcus Cousins might, you know, either get two uh, technicals or, you know, throw Russell Westbrook into the crowd or something. But he kept his cool, and the Kings started harnessing that energy into a real quality win and saved a lot of, um, you know, just kind of heartache and stress, I think, for the fans. And then, as, as everybody knows, that uh, management's been under a lot of fire lately, so you can bet that they popped a, a little bit of champagne after the win as well. Yeah, I could imagine the management was very, very excited about what happened in that game. And you talk about DeMarcus Cousins. Cousins did lose his cool once. Uh, he he ended up yelling and screaming because a ball got goaltended or he thought he got fouled uh, by Ibaka. And uh, he, he picked up his fourth technical of the season. You know, he's got that, like, magic number of five. But I think at this point, most people are okay with, like, a magic number of, like, 14. As long as it's productive and the reason why he's getting those technicals are, you know, are legitimate. I think the one thing, like last night in that game, well, on Wednesday night in that game, uh, the the one thing I'll point out is that Cousins wanted to go over to the Oklahoma City bench and and talk some trash to Kendrick Perkins. He doesn't like Kendrick Perkins. It's very clear. Uh, Kendrick Perkins talked a lot of trash about the Kings early in the season, like in their in, in an in game huddle, which was recorded and sort of put out there about these guys are still the Kings. You know, they're, they're just clowns and, you know, they are still the Kings and, uh, and Kendrick Perkins, you know, he knows how to get under DeMarcus's skin. So cousins at one point went to, there was a timeout. He wandered over and I'll say this, Carl Landry saw it happening, walked by, grabbed DeMarcus by the elbow and brought him right back to the Kings bench and, you know, danger averted. And that's what this Kings team needs. They need Carl Landry. They need Ryan Hollins. They need Reggie Evans. They need all these guys working together to help get this thing back on the right track because, you know, clearly it's derailed. We we all can acknowledge that this season has gone to hell in a handbasket and the Sacramento Kings are no longer the team that, that was 9-6. and six. Wednesday night's game, I think the one thing I'll point out is it, you can call it pace. You can call You can throw all these things out there. When the Sacramento Kings are at their best is when they're aggressive and they're punching people, like what you said, right in the right in the face. Just like, we are going to enforce our will. And that is how they won early in this season. And, you know, you saw the gi- gigantic rebound numbers. You, got, you saw the gigantic, like, free throw attempt numbers. This team is better when they're at the free throw line. And I don't think that that plays into exciting pace game, but it's a way that this team can succeed. And if they can succeed the rest of the season playing that way, then I think you throw all of these other, you know, notions out the window and you just go and try to win and try to get this thing moving the right direction. If, if nothing else for the sanity of the fans, because that's where we're kind of at. We're, I, the the fans have gone insane, and I, you could make a big trade, you could hire a big coach, you could do a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, winning does cure all. It, it's a, a a really good masking agent for all that stinks behind the scenes. And 
that's where we're at with this team. Would you agree, Aaron Bruski? <laughs> I don't know, man. There's so many. It's like a loaded question because how how do you look at this now? Um, you know, if you're if you're sitting there, you got Mike Malone as your coach one day, and on that day, you say to Kings fans and the NBA world at large, "We're gonna get rid of him, and we don't know what we're gonna do. We're gonna figure it out in a couple weeks, and um, you know, we're probably not gonna talk to you guys much about it. And you know, three weeks from now, we're gonna deliver you." X, Y, or Z, kind of where we're at right now, people are going to show up with pitchforks. You know, they're going to show up with torches. The The effect of the last two to three weeks has kind of wore Kings fans down, I can tell. Um, yeah, they're a nub. Yeah. Yeah. And and now, I mean, you, you, you kind of see some narratives popping up. Well, maybe if this isn't that bad, you know, maybe if we can get a few wins, it'll be okay. So the goalposts have been moved, I think, on Kings fans, where I think it's pretty much common knowledge that this season, like you said earlier, is pretty much toast. So what are you trying to get out of it now? Are you trying to say, okay, well, we just hope for a good developmental season out of DeMarcus Cousins? You know, are we hoping that Rudy Gay and, and Darren Collison take a step forward? There's not really a lot to find out with those three guys. You kind of know what you have. So then you start looking down the roster and you're like, okay, maybe we can develop Nick Stauskas. Maybe we can we can continue to develop Ben McLemore. But beyond those five guys, I mean, really, how many of these guys are going to be with the team the following year? So um, you really – moving the goalposts has made this a lame duck season for more than just Ty Corbin. And – that's where I think Kings fans, they're going to drop the pitchforks. They're going to drop the torches. They might be fine with Ty Corbin. He might win 35 games. You know, who knows how it's all going to go down. But the end result, I think, is all the goodwill, all the excitement, all of the, um, you know, everything you had built toward for the last two years. I think it just gets flushed right down the toilet unless the Kings go out and do something either incredibly unlikely, which is rattle off a bunch of wins and maybe win close to 40 games, probably not likely, or do they make a move, you know, like some stuff that we've been hearing through the pipeline. Uh, I think that they're probably more likely to make a trade than they are to bring a coach in right now. But what, what trades are out there? You know, they don't have a lot of assets to give back, so they've got to take back bad money. Well, the bad money they were looking at in Darren Williams just hobbled off the court with a uh, fractured rib about an hour before uh, we started recording. So it seems like the, the big plans are, are kind of on pause and the coaching plans are kind of on pause and the, you know, the Kings don't want to pay a, a guy like George Carl. There is like almost like a civil war on the inside of the organization and they don't know what they want to do about the coaching change. So they're just going to play out the string. Everybody's going to kind of lose that momentum from the beginning of the year. And you're basically going to hit the play button next year. That's what it looks like right now. Yeah. I'm going to say this, like you can throw away the season, you can throw away the development. You can, you know, say this and that and, and kind of, you know, like say that this is just a horrible way that this is going to, you know, that this is played out. But I'm going to say that more than anything that the Kings lost in this situation is that they lost the trust of the fans. They had something. The organization didn't like what they had 
regardless of what the fans thought. And so they went a different direction. And I think it's a bold move. And I don't think it's a super smart move. But it's the move that was made. And so now you have this, like, how do we build trust back? And I think the first approach was just completely disastrous. Uh, You know, the first approach was to say that Tyrone Corbin, you know, isn't our coach for the rest of the year. We're not sure who our coach is for the rest of the year. He's our coach for right now. And then, you know, realistically, things spun out of control last week. Really, they spun out of control when, you know, I put out the news that Tyrone Corbin would be the head coach for the rest of the season. And it spurred this like crazy, wild, fanatical Kings fans going nuts. And like that wasn't my intention, fire people up like that, but it was newsworthy. And it's something that needed to be put out there, especially since Tyrone Corbin had been signed for the remainder of the season like, like days earlier, like eight days earlier. So... I just, Aaron, I want to take a minute and I want to talk about something that, okay, we're going to get to Monday. Monday is is, what happened on Monday. Of course, you know, Carmichael Dave has Pete D'Alessandro on to sort of hash some of this stuff out, right? He brings in fans and and he wants to talk this whole thing out and, and try to win the fans over and explain some things. I don't know about you, Aaron. I I reserve judgment on, on sort of what happened there. There are some key points I want to hit on, and, and we'll we'll come back to the Tyrone Corbin thing in just a sec from that discussion. But I want to ask you, what were your thoughts on Pete D'Alessandro on the radio with fans and Carmichael Dave and Keith Brooks? I can't recall. I think Jed York did something similar, but not quite. I can't recall this really ever happening. You know, most of the times GMs don't really get out there in the public like this. So it was unprecedented. It was intriguing. I, um, you know, I was traveling. I actually made arrangements to make sure that I was in a a good place to hear everything. And uh, because I didn't want to miss it because there there were at least three or four PR people in in the league that I know hit me up and asked me if, if this was for real. So there was this just kind of spectacle of it. And what was Pete going to say? Was he going to stick to talking points? Was he going to try to break some news? And then you had the elements of was, you know, teams kind of team sponsored radio. Was Dave going to grill him or was Dave going to throw softballs? And I didn't think anybody that knows Dave would expect him to throw softballs. There was questions about whether or not the fans, some of them picked by Pete D'Alessandro, we're going to ask tough questions. And I, I was really proud of all of them, you know, from Dave to all the fans that I heard speak, that they asked really good questions. And the, that I think the dominant response that I got on Twitter um, and, and kind of just what I heard were people were really not satisfied with what Pete was saying. And it was kind of like, to me, it was like a press, it was like a presser, but with fans and it didn't need to happen because I don't know if he was going to be able to give folks and pardon me, any answers that would have satisfied them because a lot of this stuff just doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, he says the record, you know, it, it, it applies to Malone, but it doesn't apply to Corbin 
And, you know, there's all these comparisons kind of getting thrown out there and there's no consistency between the comparisons. Uh, there's a lot of dodging and sidestepping and then even like personal comments. You know, he said something like, um, you know, Mike Malone's dad left him on the bench. I mean, there was just a lot there. There and was a I've, lot there. I've seen some people break it down on Sacktown Royalty. It did a really good job in summarizing it all. And even those summaries, you just read it and you're like, wow, that was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'll I'll say my two cents. Uh, number one, I, I got a lot of questions on Twitter like, what is your response? What is What are your thoughts on the Pete D'Alessandro situation? It's, it's difficult. I'm going to say this. First and foremost, horrible format. And, and that has nothing to do with Dave. It has nothing to do with Keith Brooks. Uh, you can't do that. You can't, you can't go on the radio if you're a professional general manager for a NBA team. Because no one's going to be satisfied. Unless you walked in like holding hands with, with George Carl, kumbaya, look, and, and do like the Rocky holding your hands above your head. We signed George Carl. And, and win the room, then you've lost because there's no way to get an honest answer. There's no follow-up question. There's no uh, – Pete can say whatever he wants, and it has no repercussions. Uh, you know, he, he was very clear that he wasn't going to tear down Michael Malone, which was very good of him to not, like, start that war because, of course, Michael Malone can't defend himself in this situation it, there's non-disclosure agreements and everything else. I mean, that's the way it happens when you get let go. You can't give secrets. You can't bombard the the franchise. You still have another, you know, three plus million dollars coming your way. You you just can't do those things. So what it did is it like provided this weird platform. And uh, you know, I, I here's what I'm gonna say about Pete. I I really like Pete. I've known Pete for a while now. I've had plenty of long and, you know, very good conversations with Pete. When Pete D'Alessandro got this team up to like a $76.8 million salary cap number, and then he proceeded to pare down, pare down his, uh, his salary with like methodically, like it, it was spectacular. He, he, figured out a way to to dump Jason Terry for two second round picks and two guys who literally were were on non-guaranteed contracts. He he found a way to got, get rid of Travis Outlaw's contract because he couldn't be amnestied and bring in a guy that he could stretch provision. Oh, it, well, yeah, exactly. A guy who could st- uh, stretch provision and Wayne Ellington. I mean, he was able to cleave so much off the salary cap. And let's the things that people need to look at is like, look, the Rudy Gay trade was spectacular for the Kings. The Rudy Gay trade was spectacular. The fact that they were able to talk him into coming back for another year was spectacular. The fact that they were able to get him to sign an extension was spectacular. Darren Collison has worked out. He's been a dream. And, I mean, you see him against uh, Russell Westbrook, and what he was able to do against Russell Westbrook was was impressive. You know, he holds him to, like, 3 of 19 from the field, and, and he puts 24 points on him, including five three-pointers. I mean, those are things that that Pete can hang his hat on. Somewhere along the way, and seriously, I've talked to a million people. There are, no one knows the actual story of what happened here. Nobody understands it except for maybe Vivek, maybe Chris Mullen, and maybe Pete D'Alessandro. 
I hear Vivek's name, I hear Pete's name, I hear Mullen's name, I hear every every different scenario that you could possibly think of. And the fact is that we are no closer to an answer. We have no true idea exactly who fired Michael Malone. I mean, who actually did the firing, we know that, but that was Pete. But whose fault it is that this whole thing happened? The one thing I do know is the Sacramento Kings refused to admit that they made a mistake that Pete D'Alessandro and Vivek and and their group of internal people, they refuse to admit that they made a mistake despite the fact that the Kings have just fallen apart. So those are issues. Now, if we get to this strictly the conversation that was had on the radio, it was a bad look to say I was an attorney and I I was a sports agent. Um, I, I don't think that there are two... You know, he could have said, I, he, I was a used he, car salesman. And yeah, he it had a like, politician in there, you know. <laughs> yeah, he did say I was a politician as well. I'm and, a tax collector. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he he left himself open to be ridiculed for that. And that's not something that we're doing. I'm saying, like, look, you can't go on the, a radio program and just put it out there that, you know, these are my credentials. And those are his credentials. And... And I get it, but at the same time, those aren't trusting credentials. And so it adds to the layer of what's going on here. And that's not me. That's the sentiment of the fans. Well, in the same, in the same respect that you don't ever say attack the person, you, you, you talk about what the person is saying. It, it, he was, I, I found him saying, I'm the GM, I know best, and then not providing that reason that, to the answer to the question that was being asked. And, you know, that was probably, I think it, it happened most often toward the end of the show or toward the end of whatever you want to call it. And I'm sure he was fatigued. I'm sure he's fatigued from the last three weeks. You know, if you're talking about political candidates, you know, his history in politics, you know that you don't put somebody out there that long because it just gives them more chances to make mistakes. To hang themselves. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what was he trying to accomplish? I think he really thought he could win the room and the the problem is is the 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 structure of this argument is built on faulty ground. I'm not even 100% convinced that this is about pace. I think this is more about interpersonal relationships yeah. and fear of, you know, what's going to happen if Vivek isn't happy with my performance. Well, you know, better him than me. I think that when you say it's about pace, it confuses the heck out of everybody. Because now you're saying what we were winning with, which is smart, according to everybody, everybody in the basketball world that I know. And you can't sit there and say, oh, well, we we signed Darren Carlson and we signed Rudy Gay. And therefore, all of our decisions, anytime everybody thinks that we don't know what we're talking about, we just point to those decisions. And, you know, that's the trump card. You can't do that. Yeah, that in the arena. And well, see that, and that's the kind of, I, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. There's stuff that to any kind of educated observer is going to be like, okay, you're deflecting, you're changing the subject. Um, you know, these are false equivalences, you name it. When you start talking about the arena as, as kind of your, the, the reason why you fired Mike Malone, and he didn't do that directly, but a lot of times he would segue into yeah. talk about the arena. It's just, all that stuff doesn't ring true with the vast majority of Kings fans who have been through so much that the the typical fan base never gets near. 
I mean, you're talking about the most random situation in the NBA, perhaps, where an ownership group comes in with such goodwill because they saved the team. And now, you know, you have this educated fan base that's been through legal issues and antitrust and, you know, everything else that comes with being maloofed. Yeah. And now they're, you know, they're sitting here saying, you know, we've seen this before and uh, we don't like it. Let me get to the one thing. Okay, so so I haven't destroyed the Pete D'Alessandro uh, interview on, on Carmichael Dave. I have not gone out and given a, a huge opinion on it. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give our listeners the one story that I do want to share that really got under my skin. And the reason why is because he talked about me on on the program. And people are like, huh? I, what are you talking about? Pete went on to tell the story about when um, when Tyrone Corbin, when I broke the story about when Tyrone Corbin was, like, when it came out, right, that Tyrone Corbin was actually the head coach. Now, he's going to say a bunch of different things, like, look, Tyrone Corbin was our coach, like, eight days earlier. I mean, you're talking about semantics here. And the fact is, we're not talking about semantics. We're talking about things that he wants to say are semantics when they're they're really they're not semantics. Because Pete D'Alessandro went on to explain in that interview that Tyrone Corbin is our coach for the remainder of the season. So that news, when I broke it, was not out there. All of the fans were clamoring for George Carl. All of the fans were looking at different options. The players had no idea. So let me explain the story the way I saw it, because Pete put that story out there that a reporter called him and told him he was going to run with the story that Tyrone Corbin was the new coach of the Sacramento Kings, was a coach this, the coach of the Sacramento Kings for the remainder of the season. And he tried to discredit that that was news. Oh, I... I forgot to get back to him. That's my bad. I was getting on a plane and 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 going somewhere else. Well, I, it's not like I fell off a turnip truck. It's not like you know I don't know what I'm talking about here. Uh, we've been doing this a long time. Well, and- I let me let me jump in. Let's be clear. <clears throat> when they met with the media, yes, the day the day after, he was asked directly, "Is Ty Corbin your coach for the rest of the season?" And he could not answer the question. He would and not answer the question. Would not answer exactly. And therefore, that's that's an open item. You know, as far as you know, you put your reporter hat on. That's an open item. Well, it's an open item. Yeah. So, so go on. <laughs> let me explain here to our listeners. I was being a nice guy. I knew where Pete was, where he was going. And I knew I was about to post a story that would be slightly inflammatory, might cause some people to get upset. Uh, But more than anything else, I gave him an opportunity to A, call me and have a discussion, which, yes, I do talk to Pete D'Alessandro on occasion, or B, walk onto the teen plane which that is the plane he was going on, the team plane where all 
13 players, 14 players, and Tyrone Corbin were also on and tell his team that Tyrone Corbin was the head coach of the Sacramento Kings for the rest of the season. And that's not what happened. Neither of those things happened. He neither called me nor did he inform his team, who then proceeded to get up in the air, get Wi-Fi, and at that point find out that Tyrone Corbin was the coach of their team. Now, they can say the players knew. Well, then why did the players come out the next day and tell Jason Jones, all of them, we found out via the internet last night that Tyrone Corbin was our head coach for the rest of the season? That is the one thing that I will talk about because I was personally involved. I gave Pete D'Alessandro a 30-minute lead time before I put the story and I posted it because I wanted to be respectful and give him an opportunity to reply. He decided not to. He decided not to tell the players as well. They get on the team plane, they go, and that's the story. And so whatever happens after that, it happens. And so I, I'm going to end that story there, and and we can move forward. <laughs> I mean, it just speaks to the lack of a plan in that front office. And because you don't want your players to find out via Twitter anything, really. I mean, if, if it's going to be inflammatory twice, twice. exactly. Um, and there's just been a lot of damage control surrounding that where, you know, Vivek's PR people say that DeMarcus knew, DeMarcus says he doesn't know. Um, you know, in this case, Pete, I think on both Carmichael Dave's and I think somewhere else, but definitely on Carmichael Dave's thing, he said that he's trying to shield the players. Actually, it was a SAC B article. He said no, that he said it on there too, that he was yeah, trying he to said, shield the players. Right. In both places, he said he was, was going to shield the players. And then he made a bunch of references to the fact that they knew – but they didn't know. It was very wishy-washy. Um, and when you see this team crumble the way that they did, it's not like they were cool with everything. No. So, you know, again, we go back to what, where's our goalposts at? In the beginning of this, if you're going to replace Mike Malone and throw away a really promising season that could – be used as a marketing piece for the city of Sacramento. And if you're going to talk about wins and losses being yeah. king. Right, yeah. And if, if you want free agents, what do free agents in the NBA think right now looking at this? No thank you. Yeah. It's not even close. It's no thank you. So you have to ask yourself, what kind of damage has been done with whatever the, the, the issue is that, that we're trying to figure out? What is... What kind of damage are they doing by pulling the trigger on this, uh, killing the momentum for an entire year, and you know not really having a plan B that's sellable to the public at large? Well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much damage they've done. Uh, I do know that season tickets, their renewals are coming out right now, um, any day, and I know that that's not a good thing for the Sacramento Kings. There are a ton of ton of Kings fans who are just over the moon upset. They need a win streak and winning does cure a lot, but they also, they need to figure out what's next. 
And I, I mean, what they've done here with Tyrone Corbin, again, I, I like Tyrone Corbin. I, I'm not going to speak ill of Tyrone Corbin. He's in a, a horrific situation that he's got to try to dig himself out of. This is Tyrone Corbin fighting for his NBA life because I don't think he'll ever be a head coach again. If he can't fix what's happening here and make people forget about it, forget about the the month of December with the Sacramento Kings, then I don't know that he'll ever be a head coach again. This is a rough situation for a lot of people involved. We talk about free agency. We talk about, you know, if, if this keeps going, somebody else is going to get fired. And, and that's not me trying to start a rumor. That's the way these things go. Somebody else is going to get fired if they don't pull out of the tailspin. And then you have to look at yourself again and you have to say, okay, if, if this season's about wins and losses, what is the win total you're looking for now? What is the win total you're looking for before more heads roll? And, you know, you can't just like turn the apple cart upside down. Like, you know, it's not just upsetting the apple cart. Yet you you turned it over, you shook it, then you broke up the apple cart you burn the pieces, and now it's like, <laughs> everyone, use your shirt. Let's grab a bunch of apples, and I don't know what we're going to do. So it's like this really interesting thing that's happened where, I, I mean, for us, it, it provides plenty of, of you know copy. It provides plenty of talking points, but so did 9 and 6. 9 and 6 and, and 1 and potentially 2 All-Stars. That was a, a nice talking point as well. And I gotta, I, I gotta say, after three years of covering that arena story, seeing Kings fans giddy beyond belief, it, it was, it was heartwarming. Just like, so excited. I know I they mean, were so excited. Just, I mean, giddy beyond all. That that's the story here. Is you had so much good, and now I, I just think the goalposts have been moved. I don't think Carl's coming in. I don't yeah. think. I don't yeah. think. I think Corbin's unless he loses like twenty games in a row. <laughs> oh no, he's there. He's the coach for the rest of the year. I mean that. I mean, they, that they I know. I mean they haven't committed, in my opinion. And this, this was actually this was a really interesting thing that Pete said during the uh, the interview or whatever you want to call it. He was asked about money for George Carl. So if if money was an issue, and his response to that was, "Well, why would we do that?" Like, why would we hire George Carl? He did say that. He said, why would we do that? And, it, and I was just like dumbfounded knowing that at least half of the organization wants George Carl. I've been told that Pete wants George Carl. Isn't he like a, the fourth most winning coach of all time? Isn't that like enough to just say, well, because he's won over a thousand NBA games and he wants to be here? I mean, I, I, and I'm not, you know, saying that like that's the end all be all. But at the end of the day, I mean, that is one reason. If you're going to ask, why would we do that? Well, because he's a winner. Well, uh-huh. and then it, and then it goes back to the fact of who's really making the call here. And there's been a lot of press out there that's tried to make this seem like Pete is is conducting a, a thorough search of candidates. And that it was even implied, I think, in the SACB that he um, didn't really know how to please Vivek at this point. And... He's got a great candidate, but I, I think the fact that he wouldn't answer the question about the money confirms, you know, kind of what our sources have said. And it, it, all this points back to a civil war inside the organization where 
a guy like Chris Mullen, you know, is he the one calling the shots? Is he, is he the one sitting there saying, I don't want to work with George Carl? You know, is it Vivek? You know, do these guys not want to bring in a guy like George Carl because he might have a few things to say about how the organization is run, just like Mike Malone did? Yeah, I think it's, there's more questions than answers. And I, and honestly, that gets us back to the really the crux of everything. That's why you don't go on the radio. That's why you don't go on the radio. And for that matter, if you're going to go on the radio, you got to talk to the media. You can't, you can't give the forum, you can't give Carmichael Dave a forum and a bunch of Kings fans a forum and then not give the media a forum. It's not right. It's not the way that it works anywhere else. And you just can't do that. And so... I'm going to, like, again, I'm going to reserve a little bit of judgment here because I don't think we know the whole story. I don't think anyone except for maybe three people know the whole story. And it's a confusing story for just about everybody involved outside of those three people because a lot of it doesn't make sense. A lot of it has a lot of finger pointing. and, uh, And at the end of the day... I think what you can honestly say is that mistakes were made and the franchise won't admit to those mistakes. And that may be the biggest issue out there, that they can't admit to their mistakes because people who don't admit to their mistakes will make them again. And that is the last thing that people want to see is this situation happen again. People are more upset now than they were when George Maloof went on TV and started bad-mouthing the city of Sacramento. They're more upset now than when it was fourth and goal at the one. That was downtrodden. This is upset. You know how many people I know who have texted me or called me or sent me an email and said, I won't even turn on the game. I don't even care. I haven't watched a game in the last two weeks. That's that's what you don't want. The last thing that you want in Sacramento is one of the greatest fan bases in the NBA and professional sports to feel ambivalence. And if you get to the point of ambivalence, then it doesn't matter how big that arena is. It doesn't matter. I mean, we've seen it in other in other places. It doesn't matter how new and fresh and cool. If the fans get to a point where they feel like they've been lied to, where they feel like there's there's dishonesty, where they feel like they've been screwed over, then at that point, ambivalence starts to set in. Fans go look for other things to do, and you're in all kinds of trouble. I think the one thing that's a blessing for the Sacramento Kings right now is that the Sacramento Republic aren't playing right now. Oh, Yeah. And that the Sacramento Republic don't have season ticket money due today. Because I think people would probably start shifting their dollar. And that's, hey, that's not what I want. We're not trying to, like, flame the fire here. We're just being honest. I mean, this is a situation that it just continues to spin. Spin out of control. Spin as in, you know, political and, and, you know. Well, and that's the thing about this since Monday you know, I, there's there's a, a PR push that was about half done, 
and it ended on Monday. <laughs> oh, there was a huge PR push. We all knew yeah. it. I mean, look, we talked about it on the podcast last week. Monday was a PR push. The PR push lasted an hour before it literally, like, flew off the Forest Hill Bridge in an RV and a fiery ball of nothingness. The, the, <laughs> like, PR, the, the PR push ended. Yeah, and so, you know, we're sitting here, we're recording on Thursday, yeah. and, I mean, you know what? Hey, sometimes news gets gets released on Fridays. It's never good, but I don't think we're going to hear anything like – there is no – you have to end this story if you're the Kings. you got to end it somehow, and you got to get that trust back. And I'll tell you this much. With the way the Kings played against the Thunder with DeMarcus Cousins just ma- shooting like six for – 23. Six for 23. Yeah, six for 23. 11 and 13 from the line. Yeah, he was a – that was the best six of 23 I've seen in a very long time. Oh, yeah. And – just yeah, they every, every team should get out and run and get easy buckets, but you don't not pound the ball inside. I, I right now, and I put this out on Twitter and I put it out on NBCSports.com. I believe Demarcus Cousins is the number four, if not the number three player in the NBA right now. Yeah. So why why he would not get the ball seventy five percent of the time to start offensive possessions when he has proven to be more than an apt passer? Out of the double team, I don't know. So they're gonna, if they're gonna win these games, which would, you know, kind of end, you know, a couple wins would make everybody feel good and help forward the story. They're not gonna win it with running up and down the court and tiring out to Marcus Cousins. They're gonna and win. Carl Landry, yeah, exactly. They're gonna win by playing Mike Malone basketball. And then what? Are they gonna? Con- and and are they going to continue to try to defend this pace, like red herring, you know? Like Maybe it's, I, it's, I don't know. It, I I understand that pace was an issue for them, but I don't think that pace ultimately was the number one reason that Mike Malone got fired, and they are trying to almost use their defense of why they fired Mike Malone as the blueprint for the future. And, and that's the weird sort of, um, you know, contradiction that I think keeps flaming the fire on this story. So yeah. how are they, how are they going to wrap it up? You know, how are they going to, how are they going to get Kings fans to next week or the two weeks or whenever season ticket renewals are done? You know, how are they going to get that, get that done? And then every day that passes, I'm like, Oh, there goes a wasted day. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. Winning, I, I do believe they're going to to test the theory right here that winning cures all. They got three games, you know, they already won one, but now they they get a, a Denver team that they've handled twice and, and possibly could beat again. They get a Cleveland Cavaliers team that is, you know, LeBron Jamesless for a little while. They get these two games, and if they win those games, I think they're going to test the theory. That winning cures all. With all of this, I, I, I just think they've got to come up with a plan. And the this internal civil war that that I keep hearing about that almost could be the next stage of this story. I, I think that there's enough owners that are unhappy with this, and there's been already there's already been little you know. Like 
um, veiled threats made in the press. I think in Marcus Bertone's piece, he implied that the, the, the other owners might not be happy with the direction of the franchise and what kind of pressure that they could put on the front office to say, hey, you know what, guys, we want to see a plan here. Um, that, that's, that, that, whole, that whole scene up at the top, to me, if this doesn't get solved quickly, if they don't have a plan where everybody's on message, where even if it's a bad plan, you know, we're, <laughs> we're going to go with Corbin. We have no plans of, of changing. And, you know, we're going to trade for Josh Smith, you know, as fast as we can and whatever else, whatever ideas, whatever the plan is, is if, if they can't come up with that. And you mentioned the wins. I, I think that, that the, the schedule is a good spot. Denver, um, you know, they, they just traded away Timothy Mozgov. Nurkic sure is playing. Hard. Yeah, yeah. Nurkic is playing pretty well, but you know, teams right after trades and the Cavs just brought in J.R. Smith. They won't have Iman Shumpert by the time of that game, I don't think. Um, you know, LeBron, he's going to be out. Kevin Love's back is hurt. Kyrie Irving's knee isn't right. I mean, the the Cavs is is a very winnable game. If I wouldn't be surprised if Sacramento's not favored in that game, so they can get a couple wins here. But what's going to happen the next time they have two losses in a row? Well, it's coming happen. next week. It's coming next week. They've got yeah. tough games next week. So they drop, you know, you know, they have a couple disaster losses. Next thing you know, the pitchforks and the and the torches are back out. So the next stage of this story, I think, is everybody's got to get on message if you're in King's Land, good or bad, or you know, whatever that plan may be. Because if you don't, and the pitchforks are still out there, and season ticket sales are starting to hurt, and people start to feel the heat, you know, we're back here three weeks from now talking about this all over again. All right, Aaron. Well, we don't have all day here. I, I want to say this one thing that that uh, maybe the saddest part about this entire thing is that uh, we just talked about how next week they're probably going to lose all three games. And when this team was nine and six, when it was you know five and one, Sacramento Kings fans had finally got the feeling that it didn't matter who they played, they had a good shot to win, and. It's so sad that that is gone, and it's really, really a tough reality that they did it to themselves. And, you know, I'm going to uh, play devil's advocate. I think that DeMarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay and um, Darren Collison <clears throat> are playing well enough right now where they can compete with almost anybody. How crazy is that after all this? Yeah, hey. They can compete with almost anybody playing the style of basketball that's complementary to them. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. I mean, they competed and beat the living tar out of the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, you held them to 33% shooting. That's pretty impressive. Uh, and, what about Darren Collison, man? That guy doesn't miss three-pointers anymore. Look at Darren Collison since uh, Tyrone Corbin took over. Darren Collison's just been a monster. People are missing the Darren Collison boat. And for that matter, the leadership of Darren Collison is spectacular. And uh, seeing a, a smile on DeMarcus Cousins' face, hearing the locker room you know, laugh, uh, there was a different feel in Sacramento last night. And that's it's a huge part of it, man. This Watching that team walk up and down the floor in, in Detroit was an embarrassment. Whatever happened on Monday and Tuesday, they say they had good practices. I, that means that, that somehow Tyrone Corbin stole the ear of these guys, and I'm not sure what happened, 
But at the end of the day, Tyrone Corbin needs to win games. At the end of the day, this Sacramento Kings team needs to win games. DeMarcus Cousins need to win needs to win games if he wants to go to the All-Star game. And even that's going to be tough. He's got a, a brutal competition, and he's fallen to number eight in the in the balloting. So I, I don't know. They need a, they need to win, and that's you know it. It has to be about wins and losses. I know that that's really strange to like come back full circle, but at this point, it it will cure most of the issues. All right, Aaron. Well, we're going to skip fantasy. We're going to skip around the NBA. We've got too much to talk about here in Sacramento, like always. But uh, thanks for joining me again today, and uh, a very good uh, interview in the first half. If if people want to listen to that as well, um, you know, to get some insight into Demarcus Cousins this summer. And uh, Aaron, you got any final final thoughts? Nope. Uh, other than I thought the Kings fans, I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. I thought the Kings fans really represented the city of Sacramento very well by being prepared for that interview, asking tough questions. And just really just doing well in a high pressure situation that they really shouldn't have to be in. So congrats to the Sacramento Kings fans. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make one specific shout out to Kevin Fippen was the one who led, who had the first question, and I thought he prefaced his question well. I thought he asked a good two part John Dickinson two part question. <laughs> um, John Dickinson loves the two part question. I, I've got a two part question. Um, Anyway, uh, I, I just uh, I hat tip to Kevin Fippen for starting off that process with a good representative question for the fan base. So, all right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Cowbell Kingdom podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll have another guest. Uh, we'll have, hopefully, some wins to talk about or more chaos because that seems to be what's around every corner. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this edition of the Cowbell Kingdom podcast brought to you by Jiffy Loop. Jiffy Loop, fast and convenient automotive services with over 25 locations in the area. Visit them at jiffylubeca.com for coupons and locations today. Click on the link from Cowbell Kingdom. Go get yourself an oil change. Go get yourself a coupon for that oil change from Cowbell Kingdom. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Cowbell Kingdom podcast. closer look at unlimited data plans and you'll see they're not always upfront with their prices not at t-mobile get unlimited data with taxes and fees already included and right now get four lines of unlimited data while on our network for just 40 bucks each per month with auto pay so go ahead take a closer look and you'll see nobody does unlimited like t-mobile don't wait hurry into a t-mobile store or call us at 1-800-t-mobile and switch today top three percent of data users over 32 gigs a month may notice reduced speeds Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.